0: Amen. All right. Good morning, everyone. It's a good day for church, and I'm going to say this word in the form of a question. Amen. Is it a good day for church? It's always a good day to get together with God's people and to open up God's word and to praise the Lord. So uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to open up your Bibles. If you have them with you, if you don't, we have a, a few Bibles laying around. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians The book of 1 Corinthians, it's in the New Testament. It's right after the book of Romans. And we're going to be spending a little bit of time this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we will have the verses on the screen. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. And this chapter of the Bible has one of my personal, all-time favorite verses of the Bible. It is one of my life Verses, and it's found at the very end of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, it's it's verse 58. And it says, This therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love that verse. I love the call in that verse to be immovable. It's a call to be an oak, to be like so so rooted in my faith in Jesus, so grounded in my identity in Christ, my union with Christ, so grounded, so unified with him that no matter what comes my way, I'm, I'm immovable, I can't be shaken, I can't be toppled, I can't be knocked over. Does that sound good to anyone? Want to be immovable? I think that's a good thing. That's a good thing. I love what else, what else it says there in the verse. It says to abound in God's work, in the work of the Lord. And that, that's what our life should look like, that uh, we should swarm. The word abound there means to swarm. So my life should swarm in the work of the Lord. You ever seen what a swarm of locusts can do? Have you ever seen documentaries or pictures or films or images or something of like millions of locusts descending upon the land and how they utterly devastate the landscape? They take out every minute leaf and blade of grass everywhere. And so what that verse is telling me to do is that my life should swarm in God's word, in God's work that my heart, my mind, my soul, my body, my strength should to swarm together and be consumed by the work of God and to literally devour in it, to devour of it. In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. My food is to do the work of God. It's to be my nourishment, my very sustenance, even though I'm smelling the food, right? Coming out of the back, the ham and the stuff, and I smell that, and I want that. But more importantly, my food is to be doing this work that God has placed uh, uh, before me to swarm in it, not just taste it, but devour in it. Be all about it. So I'm going to be immovable. It's a call to be immovable. Abound in the work of the Lord. And it says there that it's not in vain. Verse 58, it's not in vain. In other words, it's not a waste of time. It's worth it. It matters. It actually does make a difference. That what I do for God reverberates in this life and does, in fact, echo for all of eternity. So therefore, if that is true, no matter how hard it may be, no matter what it might cost me, I gladly sacrifice in order to bring glory to God. He deserves it. He loves me. He loves you to an extent more than you can ever dare dream, more than you can ever imagine. So it is a privilege to serve the God who loves us so much. And on top of that, He will personally reward us for anything and everything that we do in his name and for his name. He will personally reward us. He promises to share with us heaven's glory, to share with those who belong to him and who do, in fact, carry out his purposes, his his righteous will, his good work in this world. And so what is this work we're supposed to be doing? That we're supposed to be abounding and swarming in. I mean, we could spend hours just listing it, but we're supposed to be spreading the good news of Jesus across the planet, all four corners, making disciples of all nations, sharing this truth of the gospel and the grace of God with multitudes of people around the world. And on top of that, like here in Andrew, we're here to radically transform this town. To, to be witnesses for Christ, to reach our neighbors to such an extent that their lives are improved for the better. To, to, to lead the people that are in our town away from drugs and away from addiction, away from depression, from brokenness and despair, away from that and toward Christ and the hope that is found in him. That's good work, right? Right? That's good stuff right there. That's what we're called to do. We're called to see people led to Christ and baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To, to work in such a way that we're part of this Jesus building up his church and growing specifically this body here to feed the hungry, help those who are, have less means than we do. If you're married, it's good work. Love your spouse. That your marriage may be a representation of the gospel, the relationship between Jesus and the church. Are you you parents? Raise up the next generation of God worshipers. This is good work, y'all. Like This is good stuff. This is what we're supposed to be abounding in. We're to to be a, a force of freedom, of peace, of joy, of optimism, of positivity, of hope. In our neighborhood, our home, at school, at work, at play, here and everywhere. And God invites us, each and every one of us, to be part of this global movement. This global movement of God recreating the earth and recreating people in the world. And we're invited to be a part of that. That's good stuff. So there's all this work. Much good to swarm in. To be a part of, right? To, to team with, but, I am tired. I am so tired. Can I get an amen? Can anyone relate? Can anyone relate to that? And I know that you can because I talked to enough of you and I know the truth. And the fact is, we are all spent, every single last one of us. Even after a good night's sleep, we wake up tired. We are burnt out. Life's breakneck speed, the stress of the world, the consequences of former past bad decisions, all of that crosses, intersects in our daily life, and it just saps the energy out of us. Right? I mean, we are beat up. We are beat down we are exhausted we are winded we're weary life has worn us down to the nub or am am i'm not the only one right like this is all of us and if you're like me and i kind of hope you are at least we could have some solidarity in this is i love love the thought of being immovable I love the thought of just being all about abounding in this good work that God has. But I can't muster up the energy. The only thing I abound in is exhaustion. I'm physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. Matters worse, I'm exhausted doing things that I know that once I step into eternity won't matter. Downtrodden. And downcast, deflated, and defeated. This morning in the depths of your soul, God wants the complete opposite for you. God offers a life of victory. A life of victory to each and every one of us. By his grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, his son, by his power, God invites us into a life of abundance. Abundance abundant life, a life that flourishes, a life that thrives. So when we made that decision that we, I'm going to believe in Jesus, I'm going to entrust my life to him, I'm going to follow him all the days of my life, in that moment, we are raised to walk in newness of life is what Scripture tells us. In that moment of conversion, salvation, of decision, in that moment, Scripture tells us that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, folks, this is what God offers, and he offers it freely to all of us. So here's the decision. Either I can choose a woe life or a wow life. Either I can choose a woe-is-be life or a wow is God kind of life. Either I can choose a woe is me, my life stinks, I'm just going to be negative, and I'm going to be pessimistic, and I'm only going to concentrate on what's bad, and what's not ideal, and what's not right, and I'm just going to woe is me, I'm going to be the victim in everything all the time, or I choose a wow life, a Wow, my God loves me. Wow, my God desires something better for me. Wow, he has good plans for my life. That is the choice that we all have. And God does, in fact, freely offer us a life of victory, of joy, and of boldness. We can be immovable, we can abound in the good work of God in this world. Each and every one of us, we can lead a life of energy and endurance of power and perseverance. How? That's the trick, right? How? God himself gives us the strength to do so. Psalm 68 verse 35 tells us very clearly. It says, "Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people." Blessed be God. Praise God. We don't have to conjure it up. We don't have to manufacture this energy. We don't have to fake it. The God of creation, the one who spoke the universe into existence, all-powerful, all-good God, freely offers strength to each and every one of us. There is abundance of strength available for today. And so what I want to do Today and for the next few weeks, I want to explore what this means and what this looks like. I want to explore the the manner by which we tap into God's power or take at least full advantage of this offer that he puts us before, before us. There's no need for any of us to settle for that woe life, right? Let's all grab on to that wow life. But that does require grabbing on to God's offer of strength. So, What we're going to do here in this series, we're looking at three cures or three remedies to eradicate this habitual, chronic spiritual malaise that we often find ourselves in. We're going to explore three keys to actually enjoying strength today and tomorrow and the next day and forever. And here's the one that we're discussing today. Ready? Strength for today begins by thinking about our strength for today begins by thinking about our mortality huh that's awfully gloomy i thought you said it was a good day for church it is a good day for church all right i know that's gloomy and that's kind of weird and negative even sounding right all right, so I want you to bear with me because it's going to take me a little bit of time to kind of walk you through the thought here, the thought process, and, and just let me make my case here. So we got some kids in the room, all right? You're going to enjoy some conversations with your parents later as a result of this message. I'm sure I'm going to hear something back, all right, because this might get a little a little, a little out there, all right? Our physical bodies are corruptible, and that ultimate corruption takes place in death. One day, one way or the other, sooner or later, we will die. We're going to succumb to death, and when we expire, our bodies are going to undergo undergo a terrible corruption, and that is our bodies will rot. The body that you currently possess and move around in that is going to decay and decompose and rot. And the physical decay of our bodies is a vivid reminder. It is an illustration of what sin is and what sin does. Sin is corruption of our soul, of our hearts and our mind, our spirit, our soul. And the wages of sin is death. Back as early as Genesis chapter 2, so the second chapter in the Bible, God warns the first man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden. He warns him, saying, you can eat of all the fruit of all the trees, but just don't eat of that one. Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, you will surely die. In other words, that, that a deliberate act of disobeying God, the punishment would be that he would return to the dust from which he was made. Unfortunately, sadly, if you know the story, Adam did not heed God's warning. He ate of that forbidden fruit, and through that sinful action, through that act of rebellion against his creator, through that death entered the world, death advanced into the world, death actually uh, got a beachhead in the world. And it was through that sin of Adam that the corruption, the rottenness of sin is now passed down to each subsequent generation. So we're born into that pestilence. We're, we're born into the epidemic of sin and of death. The, the moral cor- this moral corruption that we are now inhabit and that inhabits us, it's like a cancer. It's a metastasized cancerous tumor just eating away and taking over and taking, taking life itself. So there's no avoiding it. Because of sin, we will all one day return to dust. We will rot. And you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that this is true. Aging. Our aging every day is a reminder that death is before us. It's a reminder of our mortality. Each day when we discover that new wrinkle, Or when the hairline recedes just a little bit more for some of us. Each day when we wake up and we're just a little less agile and a little more fragile. (laughs) The day before, you were 10 foot tall and you were bulletproof and you were walking on water and you were going to live forever. And the next day you wake up and you find yourself at Walgreens buying extra strength osteobiflex with like super chondroitin because the knee now hurts, and the shoulder now hurts. All of a sudden, you find yourself needing reading glasses. And you know, we try to hide it. We hide it, get some makeup, We get some Botox, we get some plastic surgery, color the hair a little bit. We do a good job. We hide it. We do it really well. We fight against it with awful diets. Get rid of the butter, the salt, and the bacon. What's the point, right? <laughs> like, like, why? Let's exercise three times a day, eight days a week. Why? No, why? Like, what? And you know what? At the end of the day, you know what? We can actually improve our health some, which is a good thing. And we may even prolong the days of our lives a few days. But guess what? At the end of the day, it's an exercise in futility. Because, Father, time is undefeated i mean death is coming it's coming it's looming sickness injury disease are all nagging reminders that death is always before us you get a cancerous growth what does a doctor have to do he has to like cut in and excise extract tissue from our bodies dying tissue within our bodies killing other tissue we take medicine to thwart sickness at the cellular level. We use antiseptics and try to sanitize everything in an effort to eliminate any chance of contamination. We do everything possible to avoid what is unavoidable. Injury, disease, illness are all a constant nagging Reminder that death is right there. It's a reminder of how corruptible our physical bodies are. It's a reminder of our limitations, our weakness, our frailty, our futility. We can deny it. We can turn our head and turn a blind eye to the reality of death, but it does not make it any less real. So, compared to earlier ages, We today, in the United States, 2016, 21st century, we have a very sterilized notion of death. We are not exposed to the ugliness of death the way previous generations were. So uh, let me make my case. So, for example, we're way more likely to pass in a hospital today than at home, where we might be around family and others. And when our body pass- passes, we're instantly, quickly whisked away to the undertaker with no one seeing us. And our bodies whisked away to the mortician, the undertaker. And, and they're well trained in cosmetics and embalming techniques. And their job is to make that body look as lifelike as possible. That's their job, to hide us from death, in a sense. So what do they do? They actually drain, and this is where, parents, you're welcome for the conversations you're going to have later. This is where they, they drain the blood from the body, from the corpse. They drain the body of all other fluids, and they actually sew up all body cavities. Our generation is a lot more effective than former generations at actually immobilizing the corpse. What used to happen back in the day, someone passes, their body's in the coffin, it's in the funeral. But what happens is that there are times where the body will spasm, and bodies would sit up in the coffin. Nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> For there, there are times, so this is all documented, this is historical fact, where eyes would just open up. Suddenly, at a viewing, mouths would open up at a viewing. You know, the, 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 they didn't quite have the funeral homes the way we do now. So basically, you had the fam- family parlor room, and that's where the body would be viewed before the interment. So just imagine all that taking place. Well, also, intestinal fluids would leak out, fouling up the air. Which, folks, today, we, we do a great job at hiding ourselves from death, at hiding the reality of its ugliness and its horror. We, we've hidden ourselves from the, from the reality that one day my body will not be my body, that I will not be able to control my limbs or my eyelids or my mouth. It is no longer at some point under my control whatsoever. That's horrifying to sit back and think about that. And with death, With death, change goes only in one direction. Whereas, like, right now, there is a chance for rejuvenation at some point, at some level. But once we die, change goes only in one direction. It's toward decomposition. It's been reported that on hot summer days, as people have walked through cemeteries, that they have heard explosions underneath their feet. What happens when our bodies die? Our bodies respond like any other decaying organic matter. The process of decay and decomposition produces gases. And so, as our body decays, the body swells and at times explodes. That is horrifying. That's awful. Like, th- the burden of our mortality is awful. The, this is the ultimate corruption. Our bodies are going to rot. And you cannot escape it. There's no escape to this. Death is our greatest enemy. Death is humanity's greatest enemy. Enemy, And I want you to know this, that as common as it is, it's not natural. Death is completely contrary to God's purposes and to God's created order. It goes against everything that God desired. Therefore, every death is a tragedy to be mourned. Every death is a tragedy to be mourned. I've been to many funerals where at the funeral they will voice it as the people are talking about the person, they'll say, this is a celebration. And folks, there is a sense, a good and right and appropriate sense where that can very well be said in a good way, a right way. Because if if the person was a follower of Christ, if their identity was in Jesus, if they're a follower of Christ, they're no longer in the bodies, and to be away from the bodies, to be in the presence of God. So you know what? They're not dealing with the troubles or the trials or the disease or whatever. They're, they're free from all that, and they're now in the presence of God Almighty. Like, they're having a party with the Lord themselves, right? So in that sense, we rejoice for them. In that sense, it's a celebration. But it's not a celebration in that that body reminds us that that person was a sinner and that the wages of sin is death. See, as Christians, as we grow in our knowledge of the gospel and as we grow in our knowledge of God's truth, as we grow in our conformity to, in, to Jesus, who is God, the giver of life, as we grow in our faith, we should grow way more frustrated that we live in a world of cemeteries. When we go to a funeral, there should be something Deep in our soul, in Romans 8, to stool the language of creation, our soul should groan. This is not right. This doesn't belong. God, you did not intend for this, for death to inhabit this world this way. Oh, Lord, come. Put an end to this. So we'll lose loved ones, and when we do, it breaks our heart. We grieve for them, we'll miss them, We'll mourn their loss. But let me tell you, if they were a believer, we mourn differently. We mourn with hope. We mourn with hope. First Thessalonians chapter four verses 13 through 14, Say this: "But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, so those who have died. Don't want you to be uninformed about those who have died that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. This, These two verses here, they are a reminder of God's promise. All who are in Christ will be resurrected one day. Every one of us who are in Christ will be raised up at some point, whenever that day is, we may succumb to physical death. But by the grace of God, through our faith in Christ, by the power of God, our body and our soul are going to be reintegrated. And we will walk again. This is our hope. This is the hope of the resurrection. We who are believers will be raised out of corruption, out of rotting, out of death and decay to walk again. And I know that this is in very stark contrast to what the world says. This is in stark contrast to the worldly philosophies of Nietzsche and the cynics and the evolutionists and the naturalists, and the fatalists, the secularists. What they say, they claim that there is no life after this life. To them, when we die, our consciousness, everything that we are, all that we are, ceases to be fully, completely, and forever. Total death, darkness, Nothing else. And praise God that the Bible teaches us something wonderfully and profoundly different. What God's word tells us is that there is life beyond this life. Death does not win. Death does not win. death is not the end. We can live with hope because God' promises a resurrection to all who believe. And so after all of that, let's get back to 1 Corinthians 15. There toward the end of the chapter, verses 50 through 55, it says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? God created us in his image to bear his name, to commune with him, to share in his glory. He created us in such a way that we are to live with him, that, that we're to receive his love and then give that love back in, in worship, that we're to enjoy this communal relationship, creator and created, God and us together, where we partake of his grace, where we enjoy his, his wisdom in our lives, where we behold his majesty and his beauty. That's what we're created for. But like Adam... In the Garden of Eden, we sinned against our good creator, our wonderful maker. And so with every lie and every temper tantrum and every selfish act and every lustful thought, we rebel. We do the same thing that Adam did. We rebel. All of that stuff is equivalent to taking up the forbidden fruit. And the wages of sin is death. All of it is rebellion against God. It's a rejection of God. It's what sin is. At the end of the day, sin is rejection of God. Well, if God is the giver of life, what am I really rejecting? I'm rejecting life. If God is the giver of abundant, eternal, good, blessed life, if I'm rejecting him, what am I rejecting? I'm rejecting life. That's why the wages of sin is death is a rejection of the Lord and all that is good it's a rejection of life but God is good and God is loving and God is patient and God is steadfast and God is merciful he desires not death for us desires life For all of us, he desires that none would perish and that all would be saved. He desires that all of us would actually have a new life, that second life, a second life that is better than the first. So we will, all of us, we'll close our eyes one day and we're going to breathe our last breath. Unless Jesus comes before then. But we'll close our eyes and we'll breathe our last breath and we are going to descend into death into that darkness. And God is so good that what he does is that he offers to us to raise us up out of that, to pick us up out of that pit, to redeem us out of that darkness. So what God does is that he offers to replace this very perishable, very corruptible, very mortal body with a much better model to replace it with one that is imperishable, incorruptible, and immortal. Death does not win. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope of our faith in Jesus. Eternal hope is possible because there is an eternal God offering eternal life. Eternal hope is possible only because there is an eternal God offering eternal life. And so on what basis Can we trust such a claim? How can I believe such a claim? How can I trust such a promise? It's because of what we read in verse 20 of that chapter. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. I'm going to read that one again. But in fact, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is historical fact, and it is spiritual truth. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was killed by crucifixion. When he died, they took his lifeless body off of that cross. They wrapped his body, his lifeless body, in grave clothes, and they laid his body in a tomb. And on the third day after that, Jesus was up walking around alive. Jesus is the risen Son of God. He is our resurrected Savior. In a display of divine glory and divine power, Jesus himself took death to the woodshed. Jesus stepped on the throat of death. Jesus put death to death because death couldn't hold him. Jesus conquered it all. He's victorious over all. He's Lord of life. Death got nothing on Jesus. He is our resurrected Savior, and that's why we can fully trust this saying. We can fully trust that one day I and you and all who believe in Christ, we will be raised up, we will be resurrected because Jesus, in fact, was raised he was resurrected so now all who believe in jesus christ all who give their lives to the lord to to christ all of our sin is forgiven every bit of it not some not part not most all of it all of our sin is forgiven and we receive eternal life all who believe that jesus christ is god in the flesh he's god the son Come to earth, born of the Virgin Mary, became one of us, lived the life we're supposed to live, because he was tempted in every way, yet never sinned. Lived our life, then went to a cross, and on that cross, he paid for our sin. Your sin was placed upon his broad shoulders. And there he met the punishment that we should receive. But there, out of mercy, he did that. And he died our death. He paid the price. On the third day, he rose again all who believe and give their lives to him. We are guaranteed that when that trumpet sounds in heaven, we will be raised up to be with him forever. And he is, Jesus is, it tells us in that verse, he is the first fruits. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. Well, if there's first, let me ask you, what comes after? Seconds and thirds? Second breakfast and third and you know, lunchies, and second lunch, and second breakfast, and all of that. Right? The fact that there's first fruits assumes that there's something to follow. Well, Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He himself is the first taste of a ripening spiritual crop, signaling that there's other fruit that follow. And guess who that other fruit is? Believers, all who have trusted in Christ. We're the fruit that will follow. So, do you believe? Folks, do you believe? Do you really believe? I'm not asking for the church Sunday school Christian answer. I'm not asking for you to superficially answer that question. I'm I'm actually asking in the depths of your heart. Have you entrusted yourself over to that? You know, I always say this, I have to. Biblical faith is not simply believing. That's not what the Bible says. Biblical faith is believing it to the point that I give my life to it. That I I yield my life, I entrust my life to that. So that's what I'm asking. Have you yielded your life over to the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord, he died for you, he gave his life for you, and that he was raised from the dead? Have you committed yourself to follow after him? Do you believe? And if you do, if you do, the day is coming where God is going to give you a brand new body. A glorified body, just like the one that Jesus is sporting around heaven right now. On that day, you're going to receive new feet. Feet with which to walk with Jesus forever. No, that in our, in our current state, our physical eyes that we have right now, we can't look at God. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses asked God, show me your glory. And God said, no, because you will die. You cannot see me and live. At the resurrection, we receive new eyes by which we can see God face to face. Our bodies will be made new. We're going to be recreated. We're going to be improved with one exception. One exception, our tear ducts will be rendered obsolete because in the presence of God, there are no more tears, no more brokenness, only joy, only peace, only bliss for all eternity. That is our hope. That's the hope of the gospel. That's the hope of the resurrection. It's not in elections it's not in who the president-elect is. It's not in political parties. It's not in uh, Supreme Court appointees. It's, none, it's not in the laws of the land. Our hope is in the gospel in the promise secured through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is everything. Is there anything better than hope? No. Hope is everything. Hope is rocket fuel for our lives. And that's why, that's why at the end of chapter 15... An entire chapter in which the Apostle Paul talks about the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of all who follow him. At the end of this chapter, that's why Paul pins the words in verse 58 Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We can be immovable and we can swarm in God's work. Why? Because of the hope that we have that when all this is said and done, we're going to be sporting around a brand new glorified, imperishable, incorruptible, immortal body in glory forever and ever. Now, I said at the beginning, Strength for today begins by thinking about our mortality. I am weak. I am frail. I will succumb to death. But my God is strong. And he will raise me up. He will remove all the corruption from me. He will give me a brand new life, and I will spend all of life with him. So are you tired? Are you emotionally spent? Are you spiritually exhausted? You should be, because life is hard. There's nothing about the day in and day out of what we all go through in our lives that's easy. It is all a challenge. But how do you cure that exhaustion? Believe in the resurrection. Believe that death no longer has any sting that has been swallowed up. It's been swallowed up in victory. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Remind yourself of what is secured through your faith in Jesus, what he accomplished for you. Preach it. Remind yourself. Enjoying God's strength requires remembering God's promises. You want strength for today? you got to remember the truth. you got to remember the promises. you got to remember God's word. That's what tethers us. That's the, the access point by which we draw strength from the Lord. Remember, preach it to yourself. Drink of it every day. Let this truth, let the gospel, let this hope in the resurrection, let it be a spiritual Red Bull to you. Let it be a, a spiritual vitamin B12 shot spiritual five-hour energy let it be something that that just drives you that fuels you throughout the day that inspires you to do all the good work that you're supposed to abound in you know it did recently occur to me this this may sound a little awkward to some of you that after three years okay then here pretty soon we celebrate our three-year anniversary from starting this whole church thing here called anthem um occurred to me recently that as Anthem Church, I think we're finally ready to plant Anthem Church. And that might sound a little awkward, a little odd. What have we been doing for the last three, four plus years, or however long it's been? And all I mean by that is simply this. Man, it's almost like God has been getting us ready for what's next. It's, It's what I'm getting to. That we've spent particularly the last three years learning a lot of lessons, a lot of ups, some downs, some trials in the midst of that. It it, it seems like the, the first three years have been kind of a beta trial, almost like a, it was our exploratory committee. <laughs> and after all this, I look around, and, and I'm like thinking about our church family, those we call Anthemers. And I'm like, oh, man, we're ready to take this to the next level. I mean, God has secured for us a wonderful group, brothers and sisters in Christ. We can do we can do some additional work. We've done some good stuff. We've we've begun the process of planting this church. Now we're going to begin the process even further. We're going to push that even further. We're going to plant the gospel in Anger, North Carolina, which is what this is about. So folks, let's get to work together. Let's get to work. Reach your neighbors. Connect with your neighbors. We're here to Feel anger in the world with love. Feel faith. Feel hope. Feel followers of Jesus. So let's let's serve in our church, our town. Let's serve. Let's serve with one another. Let's get it. Let's get it done. And this is hard work, and we're going to be tired. And guess what? When we get tired, what are we going to do? Remember your hope in the resurrection. So years ago, I had the privilege of uh, serving as a college and singles pastor. At another church, so I got to hang out with people a little bit younger than me, and we spent crazy, crazy amounts of time playing Halo. And for those of you who do not know, Halo is pretty much the greatest ever first-person shoot 'em up video game ever created. And so I'd get together with these youngsters, and then we would go at it. We put multiple Xboxes together and multiple TVs together, and we would just go like for. Hours at a time, and it was cool. It was a ministry; like people got led to Jesus and grew in their faith as a result. So it wasn't just shoot 'em up stuff. It was God used it. I have to justify it somehow. So anyway, anyway, it it was a blast. It was it was it was so much fun. And I wasn't as good. And I wasn't as good as some of the other you know the college kids who play all the time. So my only chance at being competitive was to take my character on the screen and just go like headstrong into the firefight. Just like complete, like, I'm just going to throw, be reckless in abandonment toward that. Just so aggressive with my video game play. In, in the hopes that maybe I would take some of them out before they got me. That's the only shot I had. And if they kill me, big deal. Why? Because my little dude on the screen would do what in a few seconds? respawn. Like hope wasn't lost. I'd live on. And I take that to just say this, let's live out our Christian faith as if we're going to respawn. Like be bold, be courageous, draw strength, be like spiritually aggressive. I mean that in a good way. Not obnoxious, but just good with the aggressiveness of Christ, with grace. Because what happens in this world doesn't matter. There's a better one that's been promised to us. So let hope fuel you. Draw strength for today from this this resurrection, this respawning that God is going to bring our way. And draw from that so that husbands love your wives. So that you can love your wives as Christ loves the church. So that wives, you can love your husband, respect your husband. So that parents, you can raise up your children the right way. So that we can be witnesses for God. Not just through our words, but through our actions and our behavior, our tone. So that we can actually be the light of Christ in the hands and feet of Jesus with neighbors and in our community. So we can feed hungry people and help the ones that are desperate. Draw from it. Draw power from it. So we can do all of this good work. So folks, how do you need to respond today? How do you need to respond to this? Let me ask you, are you 100%, 100% without a doubt sure That you will be resurrected and be with God forever and ever. Are you 100%? Because if you're not, let's take care of business right now. And it's between you and the Lord in the privacy of your own heart. You just come before him and it's just a matter of belief. Believe in Jesus. Believe that he's the son of God. Believe in his death for you. Believe he paid for your sin. Believe he was raised from the dead. Give it your life over to Him. So you confess, God, I'm a sinner. You're not going to surprise Him. He knows. He loves you anyway. He knew 2,000 years ago. He died for you 2,000 years ago. It's okay, right? He knows. Just confess it. Repent from it. So turn away from it and turn to Christ. Receive grace. Be forgiven. He's merciful. He will, op- he will open up His arms to you. I promise He will receive you if you place your faith in Him. And when those trumpets sound in heaven, you will be raised up with the rest. Sound good? If that's you, this is where you are right now. Just make that decision in your heart. God loves you. If you're already a follower of Jesus, you tired? Remember, remember the gospel. Preach it to yourself every day. Remember the hope that you have secured in Christ. Live for him today who has promised that you're going to be with him tomorrow. Serve him who served you on the cross. Be hope-filled. Hope-filled. We have this tendency of just simply being prisoners of the moment. Woe is me. We we make ourselves to be victim over everything. And folks, I know there's some stuff that, that, that has hurt us in the past. I get it. I totally get that. Life can back up a truckload of lemons to us. like Life can can deal us a wickedly awful hand in life. I get that. But if you're in Christ, you are not a victim. You are a victor. You are a conqueror. Be hope-filled. Have an eternal and a heavenly perspective and walk in that. And as you draw strength from that, just remember this as you draw strength from the hope you have in the gospel and the resurrection, share that with others that they too may have that same hope, that they too may have that same strength for their day. Let's pray. Lord Father, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for grace. I thank you for goodness. I thank you for the gift of your son. Lord, I thank you that death is not the end, that death does not win, that there is more after life here. And as horrible as some of that sounds, Lord, that going into the grave and darkness and rotting, Lord, we know that you overcome it all, that you're the giver of life and that you will raise up all who trust in you. What a wonderful mystery that is. What a profound thought that is, Lord. And I ask that it would embolden us all. I pray, Lord, that it would give us strength. I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has not received your free gift of grace, Lord, that they would do so right now. To know how much you love them and how much good you desire for them. Lord, may they just come clean and let you in and embrace hope. For the rest of us, Lord, give us strength. Help us to to walk in your power. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.